When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your host and Game Master. Heroes, this week we are continuing with more Solo Starcrossed. Before we get to the show, I want to take a quick moment and remind everyone that the One Shot Podcast Network has a new podcast feed. Sky Joust follows the stories of four teams of teen athletes who are all hoping for a chance to win a jousting competition. And of course, because it's set in the world of Sphere, this jousting competition takes place on the backs of giant birds. You'll be able to follow each of these teams through their journey as they head towards the championship where they will face off against each other head to head. You can listen right now by searching your favorite podcast app for Sky Joust. Now, with all that out of the way, let's get to the show. He chuckles, but I furrow my brow. Well, I I don't think so. Um, the Zaron that I knew definitely, definitely wanted things to feel relaxed and to feel casual. But it felt to me like he was as invested in duty as he was in that merrymaking, that fun. Um, I can see his brow furrow um, and I can see Zam lean in. I've clearly uncovered a thread that he wants to untangle. Honestly, I think if Zaron was the carefree person that you describe as a young man, I don't know that I would have been attracted to him the same. Honestly, the thing that, that I really like admired about him that like helped cross my feelings over into something more serious was seeing when he would lean into command. How do you mean? Well, I work very hard at every task uh, that I do. Um, And I am still learning, still early on in my career. I've still got a ways to go. Um, And I like structure. Uh, And I felt like Zaron was great at creating it in the moments that I needed it. Uh, You know... There was something in the way that he spoke in order. And as I say that, I can feel myself flush a little bit. And I sit back. I I close myself off a little bit. I almost take a step away from our mental connection. 
it feels it feels very vulnerable to speak that aloud. And then Zam leans forward. There's an alertness and urgency in his posture and movement in his eyes. I can feel it in the mental connection. He moves closer to me, changing the configuration of our tangle. And he grabs my hands, my hands that I had pulled towards my chest, towards my body. He holds them in a way that takes my guard down. Please, this, this feels important. I, I can sense your hesitation, your embarrassment, but this is something that I need to know. And I think this is an unintentional reveal. It's a thread that Zam found that he is going to pull on. And that means I need Sam to make a pull from the tower. Oh, goodness. Okay. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> you don't have to twist my arm. I say, and I lean into him, uh, striking a posture, entering the tangle further in a way that I know will put Zam at ease. This contact, this closeness, the warmth of his skin, it, it does put me at ease. And I know, I know accepting this closeness also puts him at ease. And I can sense that that is necessary for what he is very seriously trying to accomplish. It might not, it might not make sense to you in the same way that it does to me because of how I'm unfamiliar with casual psychic contact. Um, there was our casual atmosphere and there was our, our regular dedication to duty. And then there was command. Um, I first glimpsed it when our lives were in danger. We were on a planet. There were hostiles around. It was an unfamiliar area. And I felt afraid. And my fear was loud. Emotionally, psychically speaking, you, you, you know. I, I think it was overwhelming to him and he was trying to keep himself open so that he could watch out for dangers. He turned to me, he looked at me and he spoke and touched my mind at the same time. He said, I need your strength. And it wasn't, it wasn't just being reassured. It wasn't someone trying to calm me down. It was a command. I could lean in to his mind, what, what the request that he was making, and it gave me the strength to fulfill it. I was able to 
contain, restrain my fear because he asked it of me. And I thought that was a marvelous thing. Maybe something that Zalian's only reserved for the most extreme circumstances. But he gave me other commands. I think, I think where it really started was the discovery for both of us that he liked to issue an order, give a command, and I appreciated receiving it. So there were a couple high-stakes situations where I received a command that was spoken to me in this multifaceted way, and then playful Zaron uh, did it for more casual things, um, requesting me to go bring us some coffee or tea, requesting me to hand him my notes for him to review. Those had an air of command, and it was overwhelming. And seeing Zaron as someone who was not just a friend, not just someone who was like-minded in duty, but, I don't know, someone, someone who could issue a command that I wanted to follow. That was overwhelming. And as I say this, I... <laughs> I don't know. I find myself flushing so much. I, I know that it is because of the nature of, of what we're doing, but I, I feel it. I feel it piercing me through right now. I feel so very exposed and only comfortable with that level of exposure because, because I am being comforted because I am in the situation that I am in, because this embrace is so familiar. And then I feel something that, uh, it's, it's almost like being drunk. It's, it's so overwhelming. And I'm trying to remember if I did a poll for Zam, it doesn't look like I did uh, for Zam intentionally touching the follow. I know we're already tangled up with our legs around each other, but he did come closer to um, get close to me. I think what it's going to be, just so that I am honoring the full situation, I'll have another intentional touch here, and I will put that down, and I will describe it after I pull the brick. Okay. I describe this and I look to Zam. I feel embarrassed, but again, I'm sitting with that embarrassment. I'm feeling that embarrassment in the context of this tangled embrace that we've found for ourselves. And then he reaches out and he places his hand upon my chin. He looks into my eyes. He doesn't speak a word, but I feel the push of his mind against mine. I look into those eyes, those swirling colors, 
and my breath catches. My chest flutters. I await an order, and he says, like this. He doesn't tell me to do anything, but I feel that strength communicated through body, through look, through voice, through the touch of our minds. I just nod. It's, we're caught in this moment. I can feel it spilling out of me, spilling between us, bubbling. And as it starts to become overwhelming, he pulls back. And part of me can't decide if I am grateful for that or disappointed by that. But he nods. I can clearly see the blush playing across his features as he does. What you describe, I would... The word for it in our language is closer to a request. It is something spoken... It is a way of speaking that only happens to someone you would be quite close with. Uh, between family, between the dearest of friends, and, of course, between, uh, between lovers. I must admit, I actually feel some relief in you experiencing that phenomenon. It, uh, it affirms my reasoning that uh, it is right to be here. Oh, I didn't realize that that was under conflict. And I think this is my lead unintentionally revealing something personal, which this feels like a weaker use of this move, but I found it and I do like it. So I'm going to go with it. I did not come here under the best of circumstances. When my brother passed away after we held the initial ceremony, passing on his spirit to the next world before we knew that there was a piece that might be missing, I, I, had, to, I had to try and fill his shoes quite quickly. Even though he wasn't on planet, that he was with you, it, there was quite a bit that needed to be done. So much that needed his attention, and I had not prepared myself for that kind of duty. I just assumed that he would always be there, and I have to admit, I floundered. I think many look at me now in the position that I am in and feel that I do not deserve to be here, and... There's a very real part of me that believes that they are correct, that I will never be able to be the man that Zaron was. But part of, a part of taking on these responsibilities, the first and deeply important task is to see Zaron safely to the next world. To see his full spirit in the next world. I poured through his logs, his journals, trying to match my mind to his, 
trying to learn more, hoping, actually, that there might be someone like you. He turns to me, and our eyes meet again, and this time the contact is very brief. It's brief in a way that makes my heart flutter once more, but because it feels dangerous, we both turn away from it quickly. By that, I mean that perhaps there was a part of Zauron that still lingered, that without, without fully pulling his spirit together with that part of the duty undone, that there would be no way for me to rightly and appropriately take his place. And then I found his logs, his descriptions of you and your relationship together, the way he described you, and the way he described how he felt. I knew, I knew that, that he was with you. He had left himself with you, entrusted himself to you. And there are many who hold to older traditions, ones that Zaron never really felt himself bound by, that would say that what existed between you and my brother cannot exist between a Zalian and an outsider, that, that you cannot make a request. But for you to receive a request from him, that should be sufficient for most people to understand what you shared and know that, that my mission here is just, that, that it is right that I came to you to collect what has been entrusted to you. Well, I don't know. It sounds like uh, to really have it recognized, I, I would need to prove that I made a request of him, right? His head wavers. It's not a nod. It's not a shake. I can tell there's conflict there. For those who are most reasonable, the fact that you have received requests from Zaron is more than enough. Damn, I just realized kind of out of game after establishing that lore about the request of how unintentionally revealing it was that, uh, <laughs> that Zam, without speaking the request, like implied that he was able to make a request. Um, I guess because he didn't speak it, it didn't actually happen. I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. Anyway. Well, I suppose then what it was that drew me to him, that solidified what we became to each other, was that he opened himself up to that gesture to me. And slowly that just became more a part of our lives. Well, that opened your attraction, but when did it change? What was that moment? I fall into my memory. There's something about the touch of his mind and how it affects memory, 
how it affects thought. My dreams have been so vivid the past few days. Zam was kind enough to warn me that that can happen, but I see it. I see the moment that Zaron and I were seated together on that sofa, where there was a tension that felt like it permeated the room, like it swam around our beings, our souls, our minds. It was when he turned to me. We were working together, and he made a request. And I eagerly prepared myself to receive a request because it would cut the tension that I was feeling, and I so dearly loved to fulfill them. He looked at me, and he told me, to do what, do what you want. As I say this, I look into Sam's eyes. We are so close. We are knit together. I am warm and I am relaxed. I feel our minds touching and I feel mine press gently into his. He moves towards me. He is so much closer now. He was so close before, but so much closer now. I breathe in. My breath catches. And whatever was pulling us close together was fragile enough that that breath allowed it slack. And we pulled back. And receiving that request, I kissed him. And I think that's that scene. And that brings us to scene four, Hard at Work. Hey heroes, it's James, your game master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, we are currently considering the results of the polls from everyone about our new potential hosts for one shot. We have a lot of thinking to do. We're going to be weighing those feedback forms against listener metrics, what I personally thought of the auditions, and of course, several other factors that would help us choose the best host going forward. I want to thank everyone for listening to and supporting everyone who came out and auditioned to be host. This has been a long process. Uh, for us, it has been an involved process. I have to imagine it was also stressful for everyone who was auditioning. I think Dylan, Noir, Bees, Renee, and Jay all did a fantastic job. All of them are so talented, and all of them deserve this chance. No matter who ends up getting the role, I hope you, like me, will feel a fondness and excitement for everyone who came out and support them in their careers going forward. This is a big decision, and it's one that is very, very important to me. So I want to sincerely thank all of our listeners for being a part of that process. I especially want to thank our Patreon backers who filled out extra surveys and supported the network financially during this whole elaborate process. I'm happy to say that we have several episodes of Star Wall queued up for you, coming every other week this month and next. And I am still putting together the new shows that should be coming out from this network soon. Thanks to everyone who supports us already and everyone who's going to support us in the future. Now then, a quick word from our sponsor. And with all that out of the way, let's get back to the show. Thank you. 
Okay, this has got to take us off the ship. I want to be in some ludicrous Star Trek scenario. I'm still an ensign, even if they're giving me mostly easier jobs and we're observing this thing. I think that uh, Star Trek is Star Trek. Heroism is heroism. Uh, These two are necessitated to be on planet. I don't know whether it is within Zam's general personality or what he is trying to take on in the absence of Zaron, but when we hear that there is a planet where people need help, and that help has to take the form of of not our marvelous technology, not not the the knowledge that we have accumulated, but simply bodies, people to work. Zam volunteers himself, and I have to go with him. It feels ridiculous, but we are just moving cargo, moving goods, part of a much larger effort. There's so many on the fleet, really every person the ship could spare is brought into this effort. We are stolen away to a more private corner of this large dock and warehouse. And we're hard at work, cataloging, moving, and there's so much heat. This planet is more suited to a Zalian than it is to, or is it, yeah, whatever, I've been saying Zalian for a lot, is more suited to a Zalian than uh, it is a human. I have stripped my own shirt off and... It's at the point where even Zaron has moved down to an undershirt. Sweat is pouring from us as we are, without the aid of lifts, moving boxes back and forth, uh, piling up this massive humanitarian effort that this planet requires. And here and now, It is so very obvious to me that although Zaman clearly not lived a life where he was called on to adventure in the way that Zaron was, that led Zaron to have thick and calloused hands, he still led a life that made him cultivate strength. It it might be just a a thing for Zalians. I I don't know. It's ridiculous to say that. I've done so much research on Zalians, but I have always found myself uncomfortable uh, reading the reports about essential biological differences between the species that we encounter out in the stars. It feels like a wrong-headed way to classify people. But regardless, the important thing that I can see obviously in this moment is that Zam is strong, if unaccustomed to this sort of work. He has no trouble moving extremely heavy loads, but he does need to take more breaks than the others. And even I do. He also doesn't know how to pace himself. So I step over to him and I offer him a bottle of water. Here, you need to drink up. You are going to collapse. (sighs) Nonsense. I am fine and ready to continue. (sighs) 
I can't help but laugh. And there is an easy connection between us this time. I can feel our minds touch. At first, there is a haughty pride and almost annoyance that touches me. But as soon as my mind touches his, it turns to laughter as well. I know that you have to put on a bold face for everyone else. I mean, I guess back home. You don't have to here, not with me. And that is an unintentional reveal from our follow. Uh, I believe Sam in that moment was really just trying to uh, reassure his friend and, and put him at ease. But uh, I think I think there is something much deeper in that. I just pulled a brick that I may come to regret. Uh, there was not. <laughs> There was not a wealth of options. Um, yeah, that one felt that one felt like it was load bearing. Um, so, who we shall see? Oh, and I want to point out to everybody: I didn't mention it in the moment, but every time I do dialogue between these characters, I do have to reach out and touch the tower. That is part of the rules of standard Starcrossed, and that is also still the rules of solo Starcrossed, which is. An interesting part of the experience. Uh, it feels almost more difficult, uh, but less charged. Um, I think there's something extremely flirtatious about touching the tower when you speak during uh, standard Starcrossed. Uh, and it doesn't have that flirtatious element, but like it is dangerous. Uh, it's always dangerous. Uh, but I don't know, I guess it feels a little bit more awkward. It might be that I am doing this dialogue aloud. And that's so interesting. Gosh, I want to unpack the fact that like you touch the tower during dialogue and a lot of this is intended to be written. I'm going to, I'm actually uh, going to reread that section real quick to make sure that I didn't misread it because if I'm not supposed to be doing that, um, <laughs> hang on. Oh my God, I have, oh my God, I have absolutely missed some things. Oh, wow. I'm too deep into this to correct it now. Um, yeah. Holy cow. Okay. Okay. Uh, I might need to, <laughs> oh God, I'm going to hang on. I got to read more. I got to read more. I can't believe I missed that. My first read through. I'm so embarrassed. Okay, you can add dialogue to any move you want by touching the tower for as long as it takes to say the dialogue out loud before you write it. Okay, so I am doing that correct. Here's where I screwed up. Uh, this, <laughs> in solo Starcrossed, to clarify as I will be playing right for the rest of the duration of the game, in solo Starcrossed, the, the way this is written out, um, there are special prompts that I'm supposed to be answering with each scene card. So when I was like, oh, this uses the standard scene cards, and I pulled the scene cards for my regular set of Starcrossed, uh, technically correct, they are all the same scenes. However, Solo Starcrossed has question prompts to help guide the scenes, which uh, obviously makes this whole process much easier. Uh, and I will be, uh, 
reading those aloud and we will bring that into the scene work that we're doing. Um, just, just because I discovered this now in this moment, I feel so ridiculous. This is, this is absurd that I have done this. I made it so much harder on myself. Okay. I'm just going to, because we're, we're at scene four, hard at work. I, I'm just going to read quickly what the prompts were for scenes one through three. Um, scene one was what is being introduced and why are you excited about it? Screwed that up, right? Uh, because I wasn't excited. I was kind of dreading it. Um, what is the first thing you notice about the lead and why does it bother you? You know, weirdly, I think I reversed those thematically. I was dis I disarmingly appreciated, uh, the lead and I kind of dreaded what I was anxious about. Um, so I'm going to call that fair. Uh, but you know, Alex can always holler at me for that one. Uh, scene two, a little embarrassment. How do you react to feeling embarrassed? Can you control that reaction? I think, um, I made that pretty clear. And, uh, the answer is I blush a lot and no, uh, what helps you feel at ease in an unfamiliar situation and Gosh, that did come up naturally, didn't it? Um, and it was touch and being reached out to, obviously. And we've got finding common ground. Is there something unusual, uh, unusual about the environment this scene takes place in? Why does it stand out to you? Well, I think that was the added heat in our cohabitation room situation. And... Something has made you very curious about the lead. What is it? Oh, I do wish I had that prompt, but that is fine. Hard at work. What is a goal or priority you and the lead share? And what is a goal or priority you have that the lead doesn't? Okay. Anyway, getting back to... So glad those questions are there. Truly, so glad those questions are there because they do make it way easier to play this game. And I do wish that I had seen them earlier. Gosh. <sighs> oh, goodness. I have to go soon. I'm not going to have time to finish this scene. Oh, drat. Two months later. All right. We are back to continue the love story between Sam and Zam. Uh, I'll say I did not expect in the middle of playing this game to get sick for literally two months to the period where I wouldn't be able to record anything. Um, but that is what happened. And when I left off with these two, I was about to move on to scene four. And that is hard at work. Now, I had originally started some kind of like physical scene where the characters were actually moving boxes, crates together. I think I still like that. Uh, I think it is like a charming thing for a Starfleet type organization to be involved with. You've got, you know, all of this futuristic technology and you've got transporters and uh, replicators and whatnot. But I like the idea at the end of the day, you still need to move some like cargo from place to place on the ground. When you transport things, they transport in a centralized location. And sometimes things need to be redistributed and spread out. And 
you know, you have all of these highly trained scientists and uh, anthropologists and, or I guess, xeno, xenopologists, w whatever, all of these highly trained people with, with degrees upon degrees upon degrees, but they do have to move boxes. Now, it does look like I unfortunately marked off a, a move um, by my follow, which was for unintentionally revealing something personal. So I'm going to have to fold that into the scene. I figure it's better to start the scene over. I, I'm not going to be able to pick up from where I just was. But yeah, I, I will fold that into the scene. And yeah, let's have this be kind of a Florida style, like muggy, swampy area planet. I think this planet is in a lot of ways really beautiful. There's a lot of lush green foliage everywhere and it's at a time of year where there are flowers blooming everywhere. So there's this beautiful kaleidoscopic field around us and I think we are in a populated area and you can see that a lot of the population of a lot of the different ways like have been built up along these different uh, bridges, like almost like bridges out of the ground, foundations made with concrete. And the architecture itself is like very natural to the environment, like folds into the environment very well. Uh, I think it is a beautiful place to hang out, but it means this kind of menial labor we have uh, moving these boxes around takes us through circuitous and private paths. Um, and basically, I think we are fabricating a bunch of essential equipment. You know, this might be like a planet that has just joined up with our little federation or whatever, and they are receiving like basic replicators or other pieces of technology. So what we're doing is delivering maybe the parts for engineering to get there, where we got to lay everything out, set everything up for people from engineering to, to do a sweep through. Um, so like all of the buildings have been prefabricated by the locals, but it's kind of up to us to make sure the correct equipment is in the correct place so that when engineering comes through on like this very tight schedule, everything's good to go to, for them. There's no confusion uh, and like as much gets set up as possible uh, while not capitalizing on the ship's time over much in this setup process. It's like one of these things that's top to bottom managed very efficiently. Now, a big part of these hard at work scenes uh, or, or of these scenes, as has been pointed out to me retroactively by me reading more carefully, is that there are introductory questions to the scene that help set it up, which I think is really good. Uh, in traditional Starcrossed, you are the lead is actually establishing the scene and where it starts, and the follow decides where the scene ends. Because I am trying to put myself just in the follow's perspective, it is helpful to have like the game collaborate with me as the lead in setting this up. And so the question for, for this hard at work is: what goal or priority do you and the lead share? I kind of want to get cute with this. I think the goal that we share at this moment 
is actually to have a little bit of private time together. I think that we have been for, you know, the last stretch of time on this tight schedule with whatever effort we're making on this planet is very important. We've thrown ourselves into it, but also there is this separate priority here of I am here to help Zam like accomplish his goal. You know, I don't want to keep him kidnapped here. That, that, that feels selfish to me, even if I've gotten to the point where I am definitely enjoying his company. And I think he appreciates doing some of the Starfleet stuff. I think the Starfleet stuff is actually, um, you know, kind of a thing that is also in some ways helping him get closer to the mentality of his brother because his brother was with Starfleet for a long time to do Starfleet-style work. So I, I think, like, th there's part of that, but there's only so much. He's really supposed to be getting my vision of his brother, understanding that, to collect that piece of Zam's soul and, and put him to rest. Um, so I think that we both have been like doing a lot of this work and it's just reached the point where I I kind of see that Zam is feeling anxious, that he is not really making progress because my time is being so capitalized by all of this work and basically there's very little time for rest right now. So we both have this priority of if we manage to finish our deliveries early, we're actually going to be able to take a little bit of a breather uh, when we unpack the last one before going back to the ship. And, you know, that will hopefully give us the time that we need to, you know, make Zam feels like he's feel like he's still making progress. Um, and I think that'll make us both feel good. So that's the priority that we share. What goal or priority do you have that the lead doesn't? This is interesting. So we both want to find time to talk to each other. That is the unspoken agreement between us. But I am looking for something more. I am going to say, and this might be weird with what I've done already, but I'm going to say that Sam is actually looking for Zam to open up to him a little bit. Not so much about Zaron or, you know, the, the task that is in front of us, but about himself. I think what I suspect is we have had actually a bunch of intimate conversations. We've been around each other a lot. It is capitalizing kind of all of my social time to help uh, Zam fulfill this ritual. But uh, so like we, we've done these things that like, you know, is intimate, does bring us closer together. But like most of what Zam is talking to me about is in the context of his brother or in the context of duties that he's received from his brother or, or all of this stuff. It's so little about him. Um, and it's not even that I want it to help the process. It's that this is a person who I have been around now for a longish period of time, who is my only social outlet. And I feel like he knows a lot about me. And 
I don't feel that I know enough about him. So I think my secret goal or agenda is to really get to know more of Zam. Okay. And that's right. I unintentionally reveal something personal in this. We have finally reached the end of our shift. It has been a long day that is on top of a very long week. But just like we laid out at the start of the day, we worked fast, we worked efficiently, we had planned out our route, planned out our system so that we'd be able to steal a little time to talk while we unpacked the last units. It was funny. Um, Zam was very insistent uh, on us not splitting away from work duty entirely. I don't think he's unfamiliar with the idea of getting the assigned work that you have in front of you done so you can knock off a little early, but he just seemed very careful and protective over, over making sure that Starfleet was still treated like a priority through all of this. Well, you should know by now that Starfleet's priorities are not far from your priorities. We want to make sure that our friends and allies have their cultural traditions respected, which is why everything that's been happening is not the norm. We, we should be getting this time to talk. Zam nods. He has that imperious look about him. If his eyes didn't have so much color, if they didn't shift in the way they did, there would be so much more hardness than softness in his face and features. It really is that light, that brightness that changes things. By this time in our duties, I have dressed down. It is hot. I have the outer part of my uniform tied around my waist, and I am currently sweating through the t-shirt that I have underneath. I am extremely grateful we were given the option of selecting shorts for uniform on this mission. It might just be a Zalian thing, but it seems that so much is being said with every sentence. And one of the things that I guess is frustrating is that Zam is hard to parse. Zaron, I felt overwhelmed with communication, where it feels like Zam carries just as much power, but it's so much more laser-focused. Zam has definitely been deep in the work through all of this. But I can tell that something is off. This episode of One Shot uses music from the following artists. Set Sail by Matteo Galisi. This episode of One Shot was edited and sound designed by Tracy Barnett. You can find more of their work online anywhere at The Other Tracy. As always, a humble and hearty thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you want to help us in a non-monetary way, the best thing you can do is tell a friend. You can also leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Every five-star review we get helps new people find the show. For the latest one-shot news, be sure to follow me on Twitter at OneShotRPG. Look us up on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OneShotPod, or look for news on the site at OneShotPodcast.com. If you want to inquire about ad rates, live appearances, commissioning episodes, or you have a general question or comment for the show, contact us at GameMaster at OneShotPodcast.com. 
One Shot is a production of the One Shot Podcast Network in association with Paracosm Press. Paracosm Press is a Chicago-based tabletop games publisher. You can find more information at paracosmpress.com. Finally, that music which is right now swelling up over my voice is Adventure by Be Your Own Pet, courtesy of Infinity Cat Records. See you next time, heroes. In the universe of Star Wall Odyssey, space is made out of the collective imaginations of all the thinking beings who live on various planets. These worlds are connected to each other through imagination. Common themes and ideas are strings between universes. And to get between them, people fly wooden ships that look like animals, which are powered by emotions. Also, people communicate with each other by contemplating orbs. The only way you can take pictures is getting stared at by a big psychic bug. And people have already declared victory in a war over the very concept of evil. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Star Wall Odyssey follows the adventures of the hapless inhabitants of the Lucky Finn Tenement Building, who suddenly find that their apartment is actually a spaceship, and that they're lost in a sea of boundless imagination. It's an actual play starring me, James D'Amato, Mel D'Amato, Ali Grauer, and Drew Merzieski, as we playtest the No Kings system, which will hopefully one day be the Skyjacks role-playing system. It toes the line between weird and wonderful slice of life and high-flying space fantasy. You can sample the first five episodes by searching for Star Wall Odyssey on your favorite podcast app, or get the whole thing by heading to patreon.com slash one-shot podcast and signing up for $5 a month or more.